Welcome to Surviving Society. With Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. This is a trigger warning. This episode, at times, contains conversations and sensitive material that people may find difficult to listen to. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by Surviving Society alumni, legend in the game, our very good friend, April Louise Pennant, or should I say Dr. April Louise Pennant. Um, April Louise, if you do not know, get to know, is associate is is an associate fellow of the Higher Education Academy. She has a postgraduate certificate in advanced research and skills. She's a multi-award winning change maker. She's a scholar activist who's just finished working for the Welsh Government. And she is now also, by the time this episode comes out, I think it will have been announced a new ESRC postdoctoral fellow at Cardiff University. Oh, wait, wait. Can I just add one other thing? Go on. A research associate at the Nelson Mandela University. Oh, oh, oh. Rewind. Rewind. Research associate at the Nelson Mandela University in South Africa. In South Africa. One second. <laughs> See that year in lockdown, what were you doing? Everything. Everything. You just do everything. April Louise is always everything. doing everything. everything. That's how I had to chill. Yeah. She is always doing everything. That's how I had to just chill. It's good though, man. It's good. It's good. It's Last good. time April Louise was on the show was two years ago in 2018 when wow. she was still finishing. Three years, man. Three years. Two. Oh my God. It's two years, 21, no, Three Oh, I lost because I lost that year. Yeah, 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 I lost yeah. 2020. <laughs> so it's three years. 2020 is a myth. It's a myth. <laughs> It didn't April even happen. Louise, April Louise on the show talking about her PhD research on yes. black women in education. Um, we were talking about Bourdieu. We were talking about intersectionality. Critical race theory. We were talking about critical race theory. Um, Is there such a thing? Critical race theory. Oh, you mean as in it's, it's the, it wasn't part of the culture war when yeah, we were talking about it a few mad, years ago, it? but now it's mad. part of the culture war and being misappropriated. Maybe we'll talk about that a bit later and on. And black feminism. And black feminism, of yeah. course. April Louise, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. Where's um, time gone? It's been ages. <laughs> it has been ages. Last time we spoke to <sighs> you, you lived between Birmingham and London and now you live in Wales. Yes, in Cardiff to be precise, yeah. Okay, so before we get to how you got to Wales, let's roll back again and tell the listeners, because we do have a lot more listeners than we had in 2018. I hope so. Tell the listeners who you are, April Louise. Okay, so I think you introduced me quite well, actually. So I would describe myself as definitely a scholar activist because I definitely want to make sure that the community is um, the centre of my research. I'm bringing them into the academy. I would describe myself as a proud Nijam or Jamjirian. So I'm Jamaican Nigerian. Yes! (laughs) Um, And obviously Britishness too. I'm proud of my Britishness, even (laughs) though it's quite problematic. But hey, (laughs) you know. Um, And I would just describe myself as loving doing the research and what I'm doing to, you know, because it's so important to have knowledge production. 
So we have, I feel honoured to be able to, you don't, obviously you don't need a PhD to do that, but it gives you and equips you with the right kind of tools so that you can do it in a way which in some ways is palatable, mm-hmm. but still challenging and to get to the right places where you, you need to be in order to make those changes alongside other people that are doing other work. Definitely. I think that summed up nicely. I think that was really summed up nicely. Yeah. And I guess <laughs> nice, it would be really good if April Louise, you could just remind the listeners or t- retell yeah. the listeners a bit about some of the arguments you made in your PhD research. <laughs> my mind is so black. Okay. Um, so essentially my research was in-depth um, interviewing using qualitative methods to explore and understand the educational experiences and journeys of 25 black British women graduates who had journeyed through the education system, the English education system to be precise, from primary school all the way until university. And essentially we were looking back um, and essentially offering a critique of the underpinnings and the foundations of the English education system and the ways in which black women had been able to navigate through it, right? So that interrogated and explored the idea of educational success, which is often based on meritocracy and neoliberalism. But also it looked at the roles of intersecting identities such as race, class, gender, but also culture um, and ethnicity, because within blackness it's very diverse in terms of social class, gender, ethnicity and so forth, right? And how that influenced the way in which they would navigate, right? We also, um, or I also looked at the ways in which their family and their extended networks also supported or hindered or helped them as well along the way. Essentially, like I said, it became a critique of the fact that a lot of these black British women graduates were successful in terms of having the grades like across their whole experience as well as graduating from university, but not just having the grades, but also, you know, engaging in so many extracurricular activities, years abroad, the usual, right? In terms of like working twice as hard, right? But a lot of them, obviously my PhD, my research didn't necessarily extend to beyond that, even though they did discuss it, but there was this thing of, you know, I essentially like killed myself and tried so hard and I'm seeing other barriers, right? And that's where the critique of educational success comes in in a sense where like you could do so much have everything you need on paper plus more but in this other like moving goalpost right so it's like is this success necessary or just is it just stress right so we found that along the way and in order for these black women to even become successful graduates in quotations they had exerted so much energy there'd been so much pain and challenges through you know the different um, access to educational resources, to the way in which they've been treated. Essentially, it was just like, is it worth it? In a sense, if you don't do it, you're damned. If you do, they're still damned. So there's just things like mental health issues in terms of internalised pressure. Um, there's also this idea that, you know, while you know we always know that black men and black boys are always doing bad, that's all, that's the kind of discourse actually a lot of black women are just doing a bit more but are not getting the same kind of coverage or support particularly when we focus on intersectional identities and the fact that you know gender race all of those are devalued so when it comes together in a black woman or black women we internalize that and essentially kill ourselves to make sure that we succeed but then we're still not getting um the same rewards as our peers so my 
PhD. The title was, look, I've gone through the education system and I've tried damn hard to get to where I am. So no one is going to stop me. The educational journeys and experiences of black British women graduates. And I think that sums up just the obligation, the pain, the struggle, but the resilience and the power of trying to achieve against the odds. It was quite triggering in terms of the different stories that the women had. And also what's quite different about my research is I'm not just focusing on higher education, I'm focusing on the whole way through, looking at different institutions as well. So not just predominantly white, but also, you know, multicultural, which would tend to be like post-1992 universities, you know, schools in inner city, um, different kind of experiences to get kind of like a, a fuller picture um, and just the way in which the education system, as we all should already know, is very racialized, it's very classed. And even in terms of gendered, it still is very gendered and how that all comes together to literally limit um, the way in which we navigate. And if you don't have that knowledge and that understanding or the stamina or the perseverance, you're essentially just like not gonna make it. Through those journeys that you kind of uh, recounted, mm. would telling those pe- telling those women that participated, if they if someone told them at any point in the journey that this is these are the barriers you you will find at the end of this journey, mm. would that help them? Because Not necessarily help, but I think there's something about helping to navigate. I think one of the things you're talking about here, um, Tisa, is I think I, I think something that I've definitely felt towards the end of my PhD mm. that you kind of have this feeling of yeah, I've had to be this resilient, Mm. but you kind of, you're relieved that it's ended or you're relieved that you've achieved what you've achieved, but then you feel kind of angry because you're like, I've definitely tired and tired because this has definitely been a lot harder than it needed to be. Mm. But if you had told me those things that were going to happen at the time, as in like how difficult those things would be or what was going to happen, would I have still done it? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. does that exactly. make sense? Like, yes. um, but that's the thing. Obviously, I'm looking at the whole education mm-hmm, system. Mm-hmm. So it's in, it's compulsory until yeah, yeah. like, say, university, right? Yeah. So you don't actually have a choice. Obviously, it's compulsory. So you're going, mm. right? I guess you kind of describe it as educational success, right? So I'm geared. I'm being told it's a meritocracy. So... But that's the thing, I'm dispelling that myth, right? Okay. So this piece of research, I'm hoping that, for those that don't know, because mm. a lot of us are still thinking, ah, oh, just work hard and you'll yeah, be yeah, fine. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, that's fine, but you also need to have other strategies in place. In a way, it's kind of like cultural capital to yeah, steal yeah. from Bordeaux in yeah, a sense yeah. where, like, these are the pitfalls, these are some of the things that people encounter, and these are meant to be successful in quotations, mm. black women graduates who have done it, yeah? So they haven't been failures they've actually done what they're meant to do plus more and they're still getting these challenges Mm -hmm. so for me I come from a standpoint of like empowerment supporting so I have a chapter about you know being the only one versus being one of many and that's exploring different kind of educational institutions and the ways in which you know there's different access there's more financial like all the different kind of issues which most people maybe parents or carers wouldn't think about or you know people that have gone through the experience and then they're now looking back wouldn't have realized that actually you're playing a game (laughs) and you may not have been equipped and that's the thing I feel like a lot of us may not be equipped based on you know class positions and lack of resources and you're just doing the best that you can with what you have 
but actually I think it's about mm, using um, there's a really great quote by the Combahee River Collective in 1986 I believe and they just talk about to summarize to paraphrase the fact that you know by freeing black women you're freeing everybody in terms of food because we go it's layered isn't it and in terms of the systemic kind of inequalities that a lot of different groups have for black women it all comes together so it's like by looking and understanding the experiences of black women within the education system it can essentially help not just black women um, yeah everyone so and also i think one thing that was quite interesting is this idea of when even when i was talking to some of the black women it was like oh like i didn't know anyone would be interested or i didn't know that it was a thing but this is where of you know critical race for you black feminist this idea of like providing another story to the the, the dominant one right and, the, and another way of knowing and creating a black woman like myself creating our own knowledge by black women for black women mm-hmm. and I think that's the key of it and also I just think that you know doing a literature review and the whole research there's not um there hasn't academically been a study like mine since you know the 80s maybe the 90s i'm just talking in an academic sphere i know there's been like books like taking up space and stuff like that which has recently come out focusing on black women but one that's only like in higher education and um yeah so this this tries to address like millennia like you know us as millennials um and hopefully with the fellowship i'll be able to create into a book to provide kind of a way to just dispel the myth right Ultimately, I think, you know, we may need to start thinking about having alternatives and safe black spaces, but that's a whole nother story. But until then, the book is kind of like, here is what you should know. Here's what can help you. And do it in a theoretical way, which gives that bigger picture yeah. and understanding in an accessible way. I think it's, I think that's important about the, the knowledge, right? Mm. It's once you have the understanding of how this thing works, mm. then you can it'll help you navigate it. And you can apply the yeah. knowledge. Yeah. It, it adds a bit of depth to what you know, this rather than it. just li- listen to what the man them say or whatever says. That might be their strategy to help them navigate mm-hmm. that. But you need to know the base. If you have the knowledge, you can work out your own way. Exactly. That's the key. And I think, you know, everyone's different. And also, you know, as a black woman myself, mm. it's interesting because the people around us have a similar experience. Yeah. So obviously speaking to women... I didn't know who came forward for the study and understanding their different struggles. It's different but it's similar, which is really weird. And it also was kind of like a journey of renewing myself and articulate and being able to articulate and express my own educational journey. And what was quite interesting is because I've been to different secondary schools and primary schools in both the state mm-hmm. and the private sector, um, and you know, done a year abroad and all, and all those kind of things. I could relate to all of the women in different ways. So maybe one had done a year abroad, or one had been to like a grammar school, which obviously I didn't go to a grammar school, but it's similar in terms of the kind of um, academic mm. um, selectiveness stuff like that. Or been to a school outside of London or on the suburbs. Like it was weird because through my own educational journey experiences, which is in my first um, chapter, I do an auto of ethnography where I'm kind of looking at the ways in which my race, my gender, my ethnicity, my background and my class have like played a part in my own educational journey. And to come to this point, it aided me in terms of being able to relate to the different kind of stories in some ways than, that the my participants were talking about. So it, it was a moment of 
bringing everything together reconciliation yeah and yeah. understanding i guess why i had to go through everything that i went through so you can kind of self-reflect right these yeah people, these people become like mirrors right so you can see parts of them and, mm. and vice versa and even though you're all doing different things and made different life choices there's there's a similarity there's a pattern mm -hmm. and we're all going through the same system mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and at different points like i said at different points in your life you feel aware of this thing mm. like in school like that's all I can talk about my experience is like I mean school I understand something's there but I don't really get it mm. but then as you're going through it and then you can see when people go through it and you can see oh that's that thing exactly that's that thing and then you don't know what that thing is yeah but people as they're old you can you can name it mm -hmm. and that's why using the theoretical frameworks of critical mm -hmm. race theory alongside Baldi's theory of practice I use it within the context of black feminist epistemology mm -hmm. so what that means is through the knowledge and understanding and experiential knowledge of the black women I was then, you know, applying those other theoretical frameworks to then make it whole and to articulate their experiences within certain frames. I guess, so when you're making, right, so you make ephemeral, so all mm. this is, is in the air, you don't really understand, but you make it tangible by, with that framework, right? This so is it. Research, you make it tangible, make it understandable. Right, you can't see it and grip it, but I can f understand it in my mind. Mm. And I guess that's what makes it different from, like, just any, like, journalistic book, right? Just the... Uh, kind of ways you're theorizing and moving it away from just they are obviously experience lived experiences which are so important but you're it's a bit like a chef and you're adding an extra kind of spice like <laughs> and also like to do this kind of scholarship it is different to kind of um a journalistic endeavor in this kind of um in, in this in, within these kinds of books because you're building on the work of others yeah and you're stating that and you're not you're trying to the gaps you're filling gaps and you're also not trying to individualize this pursuit you're talking about it as the collective of black feminists that have always already been writing right. and i think that's one of the reasons why i sometimes struggle with some of the kind of journalistic books on this stuff because yeah. i really am a big big proponent of collaborative scholarship and that's why obviously we get on so well because we both like talk about mm. these like lift as you climb like who mm -hmm. who is who is assisting my ways of thinking like how am i incorporating or building on what they're talking about but i find that when you do this you, you're, you're trying to change the concept right how people think how mm. they how they comprehend a certain thing so by questioning the concept that you're raising meritocracy mm. you're questioning that concept is so deeply buried in our psyche right but you're nudging things across mm. and that's what a theoretical framework can help do, right? Yeah, and I think that for, for April Louise in very much dispelling the myth about meritocracy through the trajectories of um, black women, I think one of the things that she's also been able to do as well is to say is the way to stretch or the way to move beyond this concept mm. is by collaborating but also utilizing that which already exists what i mean by that is we have a tendency within our not what mainstream knowledge production mm. to individualize work and actually like no one is in, in no one is doing this on their own but mm. there is there is unfortunately this neoliberal pursuit to be this first to say this first to produce this work whereas when you have work like april louise that comes through it's like yes you are brilliant but you are very much name and put forward. I'm 
bring I'm pushing along what's exactly. already been done and, exactly. and, and adding another spin. So for instance, I was inspired by Heidi Mercer's nineteen ninety two book, Young Female and Black, where she looked at second generation black British Caribbean women mm. and their experiences within secondary schooling. So for me I see mine was literally twenty five years later, right, where I'm continuing on that work but then expanding it to look at primary school to university including those of african heritage as well right so to represent the new landscape in which we find ourselves in modern day britain and also just critiquing like back to meritocracy the idea and neoliberalism the idea that it works differently when race and gender and ethnicity come into it and also the fact that you know like it doesn't actually acknowledge these like already ingrained and embedded inequalities within the education system. So we're not even starting from a truthful starting point. Mm. Yeah, because we know how the education system before, you know, if you were working class, if you were person of colour and even gendered, like you were excluded from having education mm. and slowly you were brought in, but then there were still those stratifications. That's the basis of the education system and mm. nothing's actually really changed. It's just become even more um, stratified, even more harder and subtle and it's essentially like playing a game or as I like to say kind of like running a marathon but you know for black women we're running 26 mile steeplechases <laughs> <laughs> jumping over sexism yeah, yeah. racism anti-blackness and that's another thing that's key within my work you know discussing anti-blackness right and this idea that you know, even the way in which we are perceived within the education system and the fact that, you know, anti-blackness, as um, Dr. Demas, he talks about it in terms of like, you know, we've never really been seen as fully human. And there's never been a break from slavery where that's been redressed. If anything, it's continued, which is why we're seeing things like Black Lives Matter. And we're seeing the fact that, you know, time and time again, we are just kind of left and subjugated continuously in every form, every way, all over the world, right? So that those are the foundations and that's basically what white supremacy does. It maintains anti-blackness. So addressing <laughs> anti-blackness, how it stands it, but again, it's about changing concepts. So I kind of, you can, you can, we encounter this every day, right? So when I, I must have been out last week and I must have picked a group of these, I don't know where they, where they were from, started talking and they followed these usual things where they go, how old are you? And I'm like, wait, oh. wait, wait. Just good, but do the story properly. So you were out with the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out with the dog. Boom. Right. You're I'm, out with the dog. Out with the dog, right. And you, got, and you meet some white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Boom. So they start saying to me, black doesn't crack. So I'm saying to them, like. Well, well, after you told them your age. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, well, why do you say that? I said, I said, I said, I said it's not true. I, said, these I are, do say that. I know, but these, I said, these are myths, right? But I said, <laughs> But is it, in anti-blackness, you're a, you're always assigning superhuman qualities to me. So black people don't or feel in a place. Or no, or no human qualities. But either way, you don't see me as just normal as a human being. Mm. I said this is I said this is one of the problems. But when I said when I said that, what they, did they say? When you said so you said so they said black don't crack, and then you said why did you say that? Why did you say that? And they, they went but 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 I said look if you're going to say <laughs> if you're saying all when you say the word all make a massive you made them scared. I said and then listen they it went silent. It's but the, this is what I was going to say. But, but, but I feel like though that's different in terms of we're talking about black woman versus black man. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. The way in which black men are fetishized yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, seen yeah. as superhuman or, you know, all sorts oh, and yeah. black women is not always the same. In in I I think April Louise is right and I think that anecdote does kind no, of no, sum up. No, yeah, it does sum up Because it that is my like uh, we obviously spend a lot of time together mm, T mm. and most of the time we go out 
Mm. people come up to you yeah, 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 yeah like listeners i'm not even joking we'll be walking down the street <laughs> and, people, gas. and people come up to you but it's <laughs> well, not no, it's, no. Almost, it's almost not it's, it's not, almost not it's, it's almost normal not like, no it's normal but it's actually it's actually not pleasant no, like, it's not nice it's, it's not, not nice, it's actually not, it's not like nice. Yeah, but this is what I'm trying to say. But even as yeah, well, yeah. like the dark skin yeah, versus, yeah, exactly. so there's all these different yeah for, for women yeah, levels. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and even like in my research, we're talking about things like hair. Yeah, fit, like it's this such is, a big I've, thing I've in been, the education I've been with system. It's, it's a lot, man. Like yeah. sometimes you call me and I'm like, bro, some of these people still do that. People, mm. I I didn't think. Obviously, I don't encounter that. But I think it's just wrong. People still behave like that. That's mm-hmm. a madness. Like on a street tip. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing, you're seeing the fetishization of black men. You're seeing colorism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're seeing all that play out on the street, like constantly. And that also filters into the education system yes. because the education system is a microcosm of mm-hmm. normal society, society. Of civil society. So you know it's, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like it's such a integral part, especially because mm-hmm. we're all forced to go through it. Mm-hmm. And you know we're having conversations now about. The curriculum, which we've been having conversations for a long time. Oh, it's a nice little segue yeah. there. <laughs> April Louise, you want to talk about the curriculum? Um, <laughs> well, we all know that it, you know it's it's very selective. It's no, not but babe, 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 a true representation. Can we pick you up, please? Tell us about what you've been doing since oh, you finished okay. your PhD. I even forgot. Ha ha ha. So in in, in 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 the Welsh government, so one of my roles was um, they're slightly they're they're more progressive, I guess, than the English government in mm-hmm. a sense where they're they had a black, Asian, and minority ethnic um, working group. Um, and Wales is a devolved nation as well, yeah, isn't yeah. it? They can control. Nation. They can control their education yeah. system. So they created a working group where essentially they wanted to make it like not compulsory, but make black, Asian, and minority ethnic contributions and histories a crucial part of everybody's um, curriculum. And I think that that was so important. So again, um, that provided a great way to apply the PhD knowledge in a way that was quite practical and seeing it in policy. Um, so they're currently in a process of implementing that. So it was it was it was great to just be a part of that that group. Right. right. I'm just gonna just make it clear for the listeners because you're not bigging yourself up <laughs> enough. April Louise worked for the Welsh government as one and was one of the key people to ensure that. The Welsh education system now has to include black history in I, their I curriculum. I wouldn't say key people, but yeah. Or well, I'm saying key people. <laughs> Welsh government, write to us if you want to. If you want to dispute that, write to us. <laughs> uh, and you know, and even the Welsh government are also doing a thing called the Race Equality Action Plan. So they recently, you know. Went into, went to consultation. So that was Jason, did Jason work with you on that? Yeah. He he advised for the education Surviving Sight Su- alumni, Jason Arda, has also been part of this as yeah. well. So Wells is, essentially, Wells is doing quite amazing things and more progressive stuff than England is. Sorry, April Louise, see when you say black history, it's in black history in relation to just Wells or black history? Black histories. In relate, uh, black hi- oh, in... Yeah, but as in relate to Wells, as in like, because, okay. you know, there's black people, there's Asian people. Yeah, yeah, okay. The Safeport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the safe port. Yeah, yeah. Well, not yeah. even just a state, but just like why we're there, like our contributions. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cause I, yeah. So, 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 and but not just within history, but within they're trying to make it like within all of the curriculum. Oh, sick. And not yeah, just yeah. you know, and Black History. Not Month. just in October. Yeah, 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 not just in October. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like the race council. Um, they had Black History Month 360, 365, Sorry, so that was like meant to be for the whole year That's doing sick. stuff. So there's there's a lot of active stuff in terms of like trying to 
Yeah, at least trying. At least yeah. trying. Get me? Yeah, this yeah, yeah. is it. So it's exciting stuff happening mm. in worlds, mm. and it'll be exciting to see what actually changes. Well, and listen, what man might come through. Might come you should come through. Come like, what's the weather site? What's the weather site? It's, it's similar to England. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit wetter. Or? Usually, but you know, it's summertime. So if you, want, <laughs> if you don't want the bad weather, come in summertime. Okay. What's really interesting about when you moved yeah. to Wales, like Louise, I remember you telling me, right, Chantal, I'll finish my PhD, I'm mm. going to go work for the Welsh Government. And I'm like, okay, babe, like, you'll be great wherever you go. But Wales, like, as in, Wales is obviously, I, I've spent, spent a lot of time in Wales as yeah. a young person. Where but I was like, where in Wales? Um, Aberystwyth, Swansea. Wow, you went in. Well, I went to school in the West Midlands, didn't I? Oh, yeah, so it's yeah, not yeah. far. But, um, <laughs> I was like, you're so brilliant. Like, I feel, I, I don't know how I feel about you leaving academia. Like, mm. we need you, but you definitely needed a break. But then one of the things you told me that just made me think, oh, my God, this it's a sign, was that you found your name, didn't you? Oh, okay, uh, so there's the history of that. The okay, history. So you found your name that had a history in Wales. Yeah, so Pennant, my surname, was, they say Pennant. Pennant. It means um, head of stream or head of streams. It also means, you know, a triangular flag. And it also means it's a type of slate because the penance owned a slate quarry. So the slates that came out of there, they call it penance slate. So anyway, I've always known that my name, my surname had um, Welsh connections and links. Um, and I always wanted to at some point go to explore and understand more about it. Because there's previously been documentaries that other penants have done. So also the name Pennant is not very common to say other names such as like Campbell or Johnson or Jones, like Pennant is quite distinct. So there's, I know there's Pennants in Nottingham, there's Pennants in London, that's my branch. And I know there's some in America as well and obviously Jamaica, which is where um, that we're from. So essentially um, I was part of this North Welsh Jamaica Society, which is a group and they are aware of the links between Wales and the Caribbean. So essentially, Wales has an interesting, unique history, right? So they've always had, especially in Tiger Bay and Cardiff, it's always been very multicultural. You know, it's close to Liverpool, and that's where there was a big slave trade in port. So that's one of the things that attracted me to go. Like, it's not going to be completely just white, although the Welsh government was quite white. But in terms of where I live, it's very multicultural. So, um, you know, I always wanted to discover and understand more about those Welsh connections based on my surname and when I got the chance to go that's why I always say that Wales called me I didn't really call Wales so when I got a chance to go that's why I was like oh okay like maybe now it's time to eventually have a time to explore it so I didn't know when it was going to be I didn't know how and then there was a journalist from the Times who contacted the North Welsh Jamaica Society um, asked him for, they were doing um, a story about National Trust buildings mm-hmm. and houses and just the fact that they had started to, you know, look at their links to slavery. So a lot of these lovely, nice country houses and castles are actually been in, built by the wealth from um, enslaved Africans in the Caribbean. Through her contacting me, I also already wanted to do this trip. So there's Penryn Castle in Bangor, which is North Wales. And that was, um, and they have a huge estate, but that was the white penance. That was their symbol of the wealth that was generated from the plantation. So they had six plantations in Jamaica, two in terms of, I think two, was two why was there two? I don't know why there was two, but there was two, I guess, that they had pictures of and documentations of it. Um, and essentially, I 
with the journalists from the Times, we did a podcast where we journeyed to Bangor to see the castle. We also got to see the archive. So the family has given a lot of their documents to Bangor University's archive. And we also got to see the vast estate, which included mountains that they once owned. So my understanding is that they've given Penryn Castle to the National Trust, but they still own some of the land. They also still own some of the items which are within the castle. And, you know, to this day, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the generational wealth that has been accumulated. Um, and also the fact that, you know, when they had the Slavery Compensation Act, I think it was in 1837 or mm-hmm. something like that, um, the British government did not finish paying off slave owners until like 2015. Yeah. 15, yeah. But myself, one as one of many penants, all we have to show for it is our name. So 350 plus years of, you know, forced free labor generated a significant amount of wealth where a castle was able to be built. They were able to buy mountains and huge, um, you know, land they also were able to buy the quarry mine. So it created a thriving, um, you know, community, a thriving um, wealth for local communities to live off. So there was mining communities and everything like that. So it was interesting <laughs> going. How do you feel about him? I don't know. It's, it's kind of like looking at a drug dealer's ill-gotten gains and the castle as like a... The castle became like, it's, it's, it's a symbol, it's a monument. And what also was interesting is the fact that to this day, yes, they do temporary exhibitions, but they don't have like a proper monument, even though they're now aware of where the money has come from. There's not really any monument or any acknowledgement of the enslaved Africans whose, you know, whose who's, who's labour mm. provided Babe, the wealth. I think you need to invoice <laughs> <laughs> send me <laughs> invoice. Well, but I guess, the receipts are there I'm sorry but this is quite interesting reparations <laughs> reparations but that's the thing reparations is not just about the money thing it's, yeah, it's, it's basically mind. like restorative justice yes. and that includes essentially like trying to help the person or the people to get back to where they were before Mm -hmm. right so i see this part as disrupting my history because obviously i am here i have this surname because of them and i understand that you know some other slave owning families got rid of their documents and didn't want to acknowledge it so i will say that it's a good step that you know the white penants have decided to give the um estate or some of the castle to the national trust but apparently through talking to historian, that was also just to avoid inheritance tax. Mm-hmm. And also the fact is they still own the items, some of the items within the castle, as well as some of the land. So you're still benefiting mm-hmm. 350 plus years later. Yeah. And also just understanding how the wealth from, so he, the, the first penant went to Jamaica as a sailor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I he was imagine. able to- Live large. That he's, one of his kids was like a Lord Mayor and a Lord Justice of Jamaica. So they they yeah, they, they were no it. very rich. And they really, like even now in terms of, so there's two brothers left, are like my dad's generation. And, you know, one of them doesn't want to um, engage and he's got a, he's lawyered up. And the other is, um, yeah. yeah no, um, I'm, just, I'm just like, I'm just like. <laughs> and the other was Woo! ill, so he wasn't able to 
like because I really wanted to meet them as well. It would be interesting to see. Listen, they're not speaking to you, fam. They're not speaking <laughs> they're to you. Up. They know. Yeah, they're not. not but that's what I mean. That's just listen. One like listen like the British government. They, they don't say sorry. They're not looking to say sorry. Have any debate around it? Really? They want to no, and they've expressed regret. And they're very and, and that, that's the it. thing they, they express regret, right? <laughs> but they don't say sorry. But this is what I'm trying to say to people. So if we're talking now, we we got this whole Black Lives Matter era. Mm. We're still mm. arguing about the curriculum, and we're still arguing about stuff like that. But it's like we need to get to know in terms of a lot of us don't realize that our ancestors are really dumb paid and contributed significantly. So us being here is our birthright. Even if we didn't contribute anything, we could just be, right? Mm. So when I say that I'm British, I mean it in a sense where, like, I always use analogy of, like, when you have a car and you've bought, you paid for a car and you're paying for the petrol and someone's trying to tell you that you, it's not your car and you can't sit in it. But it's like, no, when you know that you bought the car, when you know that you, you, you provide the petrol constantly, which, like I said, these people are still living off now, you can't tell me <laughs> that I'm not the owner of the car. But a lot of us just have to either sit in the back of the car and we're grateful that we're in the car, but we don't realise that we made the car, we bought the car, we paid for the car, we run the car, yeah? So when we're talking about Black Lives Matter and having these conversations, it's all connected. And this is the reason why like, there's erasure in the curriculum. This is the reason why a lot of us will go into these exhibitions or these temporary exhibitions, which started, I believe, in 2018, the one in Penman Castle. There's a historian who has made a career of this area. And like I said, all I have is my name, my surname. Where is the justice? This generation and be below, we need to go back to really understanding and maybe going on the reparation we we all need to understand why reparate what reparations are why it's so important yeah and also just you know everything that's happening it's global do you know what is i think what's interesting and i think linked to the curriculum when you mention the word reparations especially how that word gets um, put free to you in education you think money it's just money it's more you, than you, that you, you know for us it's more than that right? but how yeah, but you, even the definition of reparations is more than that but they just take out the money part and so it. so when you're encountered first time in the curriculum it's, mm. it's through world war world war one right mm -hmm. and it's the idea there's money and reparations it always causes problems so when so when you kind of that discourse is in your head already as even before you're aware so when you're 15 16 mm. this is the discourse that's in your head with that word but this this is another thing that i want to ask as well even linking back to anti-blackness mm -hmm. like we have the evidence mm -hmm. because we have all these buildings which you know they started to uncover this this horrible history there's reports out there you know some of them have given the documents in the archives so i was able to see names of the enslaved right that's, that's and what was plan. quite that's and what was quite interesting though is that what i wanted from that journey is to understand maybe more about if are, i man. could see where in africa they had come from because yeah, yeah, remember yeah. this is disrupted yeah yeah my, you know, part of slavery was to rip away our cultural identity, you know, our spirituality, our knowledge of self. And, you know, the selection that we were shown, maybe there's more. Mm. But I couldn't really decipher anything from it. Mm. So in terms of reparations, even taking that trip, you know, we need to have like, there's other penance. I went to the castle and I was still paying um, for souvenirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take it, man. 
the tape. <laughs> no, the tape. well, not even just like <laughs> that, but as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just 350 plus years. Yeah, yeah. And I'm still paying for souvenirs. Do you understand? So my yeah, yeah. point being is that we need to be redirecting a lot of this anger and basically understand more. I think that's where the, I think that's where the movement needs to go. But I think what you see at the moment, people are just. They're so looking at little things. Little things, but sometimes people are just becoming aware of how the system works, right? That's the point, but that's what I was going to say. It's bigger than... The curriculum is one maybe one aspect, center, yeah, yeah. for instance. Mm-hmm. Well, Black Lives Matter and being killed by the police is one aspect. Mm-hmm. So even thinking about, not just for us, right? If you have knowledge of the fact that we're not just here just to be here. Mm-hmm. One, our grandparents and parents were probably... They were called here to come and rebuild the country after a war. Mm-hmm. But even before that... Mm-hmm. When we were even, so my ancestors in Jamaica didn't know that they were building a castle with their wealth. Mm. They didn't even get to come and see it. So even in terms of the wildness of me being in London 350 plus years later, getting a job in Wales, doing anti-racism work as part of my job in the Welsh government and getting to bear witness to all of their wealth. And like I said, those that generational wealth we haven't got anything. Yeah, and that generation wealth goes, it reinforces that kind of intersectionality you're talking about. So it reinforces the class system. And the disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. And also it's about understanding. So even putting that into the curriculum, Sorry. you'll have more of an understanding of like why we're here and why you should actually be saying thank you to us instead of go home. Yeah, yeah. Because this is our home. But listen, as we're speaking, we're making George more angry. I can see <laughs> could just see, We could just see George. Can see but, but, George but, but, in the corner of the room is just getting more But that's more the thing, but, vex, then, but, that's the thing but then it's about changing. You're, it's a human, and that's what I'm trying to say in terms of we're, we're justified to feel angry. And at some point, I had to even ask, you know, the journalists, like, how would you feel? Because obviously they have to ask certain questions. Mm. But I just think that, you know, that's where anti-blackness comes in because we know how to give reparation. We know how to um, divvy up stuff. Um, the podcast, which I shared with you after, they did a snippet from the white penance. I actually had a reaction to it. It was crazy. But it was a oh snippet God. when they talked about previously how, oh, how would we do it? Well, <laughs> I mean, if we tried, just, we, we, there's a way penance. to do it. And also, I just think it's just interesting in terms of, yes, I just, I, it was, it, it was a, a really deep trip. I'm still processing it. It's, it's deep, um, man. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's essentially like someone's just teethed everything and got like ill-gotten gains and you're being told to walk around and look at it. Yeah. And I had to bring my own flowers just to acknowledge and say, oh. listen, we need to have some kind of, for the first starting point, mm. a memorial or an acknowledgement about who who created this wealth and why this is here yeah and we also like there was like red um kind of leaves on on the castle growing on it and outside and my dad was like this is like the this is this represents the blood of our enslaved africans Africans i wanted to ask you i wanted to ask you april louise your dad um who is a legend thanks how (laughs) did he find it and that's the, I think like my dad wanted to come as more of a supportive role because I wanted him to come um, just... Did your sister come? No. No, but she, I wanted to... First, it was like a first le- like a first look into this, into this like history. It's the first time going. And I think it, it just opened up more. I thought I would get closure, but actually I also want to see more so about the other side, you know, because yes, we saw the lavish life that they were able to live, the white parents were able to live. Um, and yes, they have given 
the castle to the National Trust were part of it because obviously, like I said, they still own the land. And the some government, of the, items the state. They've given it to the state. Right, but what have they given to the enslaved African people whose backs that they are living off of to this day? So that's what I mean in terms of anti-blackness, right? Mm-hmm. Where is our level of respect? Where is our level of justice? Where is our need for it and it's not like people are not fighting there's reparation movements the un has even talked about it but we're still just gonna say nah the trip from mm. westminster up to the, to the studio even the building that we're in yeah you can see how tightly bound it is right they don't even have an honest conversation even though the evidence like you said before earlier the evidence is everywhere yeah. the building we're in like somerset house represents empire right but how do you have this how do you how do we have that conversation to get them to say, listen, listen, like, we know, you know, like, they know, right? So what are we going to do about it? But this is the point, and that's what's sad, like, we ha- we've been having these conversations. I know, but I know, so we, I can say, we've been saying it. No, no, and that's saying, they are starting to now engage in the mm-hmm, conversation. Mm-hmm. So as I said, the National Trust, I sent it to you after, has like a report where they've looked at the role of that, and there's a lot of work with Penryn Castle in terms of... Uh, is that Corinne Fowler? No. Corinne Fowler's one, the colonial sure. countryside stuff. Potentially, it's yeah, linked yeah, yeah, into yeah, it. This is the yeah. thing I've heard about the people in the National Trust, that some people who are members are kicking off. They're yeah. saying like, yeah, like, but, it's, but, it's a, but it's a minority. Can I just say, to be fair, it's mm. a minority though. Yeah, That's yeah. Some point. people find they're saying that some people find it uncomfortable. So even I got to talk to some of the National Trust, mm. the creators of the Penman Castle, which is fantastic. We had a really productive conversation, and for me, like I would like to see a permanent kind of monument or some acknowledgement as a first step. That's not the only thing, right? And there's other parents who may want to do other things and feel that other things are more appropriate, but. To know that the reason why the castle is there is directly because of enslaved Africans and to not have anything, mm-hmm. apart from like temporary exhibitions, don't get me wrong, but of like po- school children saying poetry and doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. That's great. But we need so much more. It's a bit like, you know, yeah, I'm acknowledging that stuff has been done, but no one needs to be done. And I just think that that's what I mean about anti-blackness mm-hmm. is in like we're not even given justice yeah, or yeah. we're not even even though we know yeah, what's yeah. happened we're still just not going to do what's right by actually having a proper conversation and rectifying the wrongs we're not saying we know that you know as a descendant it wasn't you that was there but the same way you're still benefiting i'm still disadvantaged yeah yeah he's <laughs> trying to try to explain it to people and it's, 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 it's of, but then we can understand it for other people but not for black people but it's that same argument that people say like i wasn't there i'm like Yes, that's obvious, right? Like, it's an obvious <laughs> thing to say, but but I am still disadvantages, just like you've got all the advantages from that, right? Mm. So what are we going to do? Because imagine if I had 350 plus years of generational wealth, I might even be able to buy a house. But say a criminal has, like, been wronged of something, they wouldn't be allowed to, in most cases, they're not allowed to keep the spoils of their crime. No, no, no. But this is it. So who who has the power, right? It comes down to power, right? So, or who is of value? Yeah, yeah. So who's yeah, who's empowered? Decides who's of value, right? Yeah, who is empowered decides who is of value, and as we know, yeah, there is a hierarchy. It's a hierarchy, that. man. But yeah, but, I, I, I mean, can we keep asking? Who, they're not going to give it to us, are they? No, I, this I is think. The thing. But have we? And listeners, it'd be great if anyone could yeah message us. Yeah. Have we put through? In the last sort of 10 years, I mean, obviously Catherine Hall did the big big case study on all the institutions, all the research and case study mm. on all the institutions that have been benefited and profited from slavery. And there's so many. Um, but 
Yeah, like, it's, it's, who a, is, it's a big business. It's a big yeah. business slavery. And as we've spoke about on the show before, like, it's why we have banks. Mm. So mm. much money. You have to start the banks because slavery is generating so much money. But who has put forward a sophisticated... There's, there's many people. There's case. many reparations, yeah, movements. movements but yeah. I think, that's what I'm saying. I think as a people, that should be the thing that we are focusing on because mm-hmm. until I, I'm, I'm a bit older talking about until Africa for instance mm. like is free all of the other things that we're doing is redundant yeah. so I think is it Jamaica put the case yeah but, Jamaica yeah, recently they yeah, have the but I'm saying there's also independent there's actual commissions mm-hmm. people been fighting since a long time mm. um, so I, it's interesting maybe me myself I need to engage a bit more to understand what's you know morality the people have accepted moral obligations but in terms of legally I, I'm not sure how or why that's that's not moved forward i think there's obviously a bigger picture a wider picture because it comes out to nation states right mm. and deals being made and things that people not to say uh, to make deals there's because mm. i'm sure especially since the kind of the nationalist the nationalist movement of the 50s and 60s in africa mm. that must have been on 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 the table yeah but discussion and it, it's the list with yeah, certain groups but that's what i think it's sad in terms of even doing that journey especially mm. like we know that's the case but when you're personally connected yeah yeah right mm. It's a whole other thing. So in terms of like, that's a history, but that's also part of my personal history mm. via my dad's side, right? Do you think you would have been able to do it, what April Louise did? Listen, <laughs> I, I, listen, wait, wait, see what you just said there? That's yeah. what a man's thinking. I don't think I'm going to... I don't think I could. Man, man will so, break down. What's your You're surname? Amazing. Regis. See? Go and find about Regis. Lewis. Lewis. Mine's, yeah. mine's a big slave name. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But still, Ghana, they're not, they're not innocent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what I'm trying to say. A lot of us need to start to understand and that context and that's why I did the trip I'm scared it is but just about that idea of empowerment and understanding obviously it's it's, it's tough but I really got insight into who the white penance were but you see when I was so we went back to Grenada yeah so my mum tried to do the records are not that good so Mm. we get to a certain point and I think we get back to my great 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 granddad Mm. it it goes cold man we like, have to keep trying. Record, and I think sometimes the ancestors, like the ancestors wanted me to go and see it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, just yeah. the way in which the trip came about, the way in which I'd always been interested in stuff like this anyway, and knowledge of self and that journey. Like it was just a starting point. And for me, I just want, I want to be able to take my kids and my grandkids and my other family members to have that understanding. Yeah. Obviously it's not all of our history, but it's a big No, but it creates it. a link, man. Exactly. And, that, and that's important. You understand where yeah, we come from. You understand where you come from. Listen, you inspired, man. Go and have a look. And that's what I'm trying to say. I think a lot of us, and I'll share the podcast with you guys after, but a lot of us need to do that because we're sitting here with not a lot of knowledge to the fact that we built, we actually built this country. Mm. So when they tell you that you're not, like I said, like in the words of Stuart Hall, we are here because you were there. And even before we were here, we were still there. Here, there. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. And what I find, another thing that I find really funny is, you know, this idea of education, right? Um, we got to go to a local um, town by the quarry mines and part of the estate. And that little town had basically been made up of the miners who would work in a penance quarry so essentially the money that they got from when slavery was ending the money that they got they bought the quarry and then obviously created livelihoods for huge loads of individuals wait 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 so when so obviously when um the abolition of slavery happened they gave 
the yeah. slave owning families re- money but they were still they were still having so, they still get were getting generating an income as from well a plantation yeah so you're saying that the money directly built that castle and with, then helped this town this yeah white town. that's what i'm trying to say so not only did they yeah. contribute to the family they also contributed to the town the whole of wales because of the economy and the whole of britain so it was big, big business, yeah. So for me, like, so getting to go to getting to go to the local town, a lot of them had, um, so they, they didn't like the penance either because they weren't nice. And there was a strike, I think, from nineteen hundred to nineteen oh three, a huge mining strike, and a lot of them still apparently don't go into the car. The descendants still don't go into the castle based on that solidarity and just the idea of they treat them so badly. So we've got we've got but, we've got slavery and we've got class struggle. Definitely. But wow. what's quite interesting is that a lot of them, because I asked them, a lot of them didn't actually know beyond 1900 or where the money had come from for you to have your livelihood. Which, so if you had that level of understanding and appreciation, which I think some of them are now starting to have, but if you have it from early, like you understand that we all make a contribution to the society and we're all valid men- members of society. But this is the thing, and I think mm. that this is the thing that's under-discussed. The role empire, but it's played. on purpose. Yeah, no, definitely it's on purpose. The ratio is yeah. on purpose, so that we are divided and we are fighting over class. When actually, like, <laughs> we're all struggling and about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But then you're still able to fall upwards, whereas me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Even if we got our educations and PhDs and all sorts. But this is the thing, man. Like, I, I think so. You go there and get that kind of educational success, and you might even get that material success, right? But you still, as you, even as you're still navigating it, you still know there's there's something, right? That anti-blackness that exists. Mm. And also just having to start from scratch. Mm. So if you think about when slavery was abolished, yeah, a lot of them had nothing. Mm-hmm. They were never given anything. So they've had to, so even like third generation, so my grandparents come in in the Ring Rush, that generation on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. 100% man. Like. You've essentially like, when, <laughs> I'm like minus so much. Yeah, yeah. Based on those actions. And it's not like they didn't do anything. It was like they were literally not afforded that. Remember, we weren't even allowed to read or write. Like, slavery was brutal. So even the fact that I'm here is a testament to the survival of my ancestors. So for me to even see what they did, because that's what I said, look what my ancestors did. Mm-hmm was profound and I was still processing it. And obviously there were so many emotions, but yes, there's anger, but also there's hope in a sense where now I have this information, I want everyone to understand and know and to see their own, understand their contribution and answers. Tell my man about hope. I told him, you need hope. You need hope. hope I wish you just go crazy. You need hope. <laughs> you need hope. And you'll just be mad. George wants dates. George wants dates of freedom. We said maybe not in our lifetime. Well, definitely oh, yeah. not no, in but our that's, And another thing is, though, it's not going to be immediate. And a lot of us are too individualistic and we want it now. And we think that we're free because we got our flashy car. But no. <laughs> we, it, we need to... It needs to be... We need to be more selfless and ready to sacrifice. Like just the same way that our ancestors sacrificed, the same way you know <laughs> Listen, listen, <laughs> fire. See, this is why I love fire, this is why I love April. It's, 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 it's bigger it's than all of us. So we need people. to just exactly like that's what I'm trying to say about rethinking the mind. It's all good to do the Black Lives Matter because Black Lives do matter and it's so important what they've done. But it's deeper than this. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's in the institutions, it's interwoven. Mm-hmm. Our history, our story, our contributions and the fact that a lot of us now are tired and we want, you know, we want what is right and what is due to us. 
And I get it, we're all screaming in those ways, but a lot of us don't understand exactly what is due to us, exactly what we contributed, exactly, you know, what it is that we've done. Mm. Everyone needs to collect their receipts. Yeah, yeah. And and just and just to have the understanding. So no one can never tell me that I'm not British because I'll be like, bruv. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say. Again, maybe that's wrong because I'm asserting my value or my Britishness to a contribution. So maybe, okay, not in that sense, but just in the sense where, you know, we saw the football and stuff like that, how yeah. often our, our identity and our value is what we can give. Yes. But, you know, but then it's like if we're doing it, if, so if I we're looking be, at, but I want to be mundane. We want, I want black people to be able to just be free, yeah. right? But if we are looking at that value of value, yeah. then we are extremely valued. Right, we are the culture, <laughs> for God's sake. We, we like, built the country, we, we built the like, world. It's, it's like I, I think I was looking at the. I was reading a book the other day, like uh, the Indian subcontinent at the can't remember in the 1700s accounted for 23 percent of the world's wealth. Mm-hmm. By the time they ended in 1947, it accounted for four percent of the world's wealth. So, Britain, Britain for industrialization, Britain had to de-industrialize the Indians. Well, and if you kind of magnify it on a large scale, Africa, the West Indies, yeah, it continued colonization, you, yeah. Colo- yeah. colonialism, yeah. like it's. So that's what I'm trying to say in terms of a lot of us need to understand that Black Lives Matter is one part of a huge of a history, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is interwoven and it's different manifestations of the problem, which is anti-blackness. Listen, you tell me how to find out. Wait, how you find out all the kind of ancestor stuff sure. boom we're on it we need to just do it listeners yeah. we hope you've enjoyed this very very powerful episode from one of yeah. our faves April Louise Pennant Dr. April <laughs> Louise Pennant <laughs> listeners thank you so much for joining us um, April Louise thank you for ha- coming on the show thanks for having me and we'll see you again next week see ya bye. bye bye thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso you can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 